Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege each and every Monday to welcome you to the Culture Watch podcast. Culture Watch is a podcast of Speaking for Him, and we spend our time here on this podcast talking about news and current events from a Christian perspective. And one of the reasons why I find this so important is that if you look back to the founding of our country, the way that our country was structured and put together was through the conversations and writings of our founding father. So without effective communication, this country would not have come to be. And I think one of the things that is happening in our culture is the media and the liberal left is trying to put a kibosh on important conversations. They think if we don't talk about it, then it won't become an issue and people will not believe that they can have an opinion of their own. And so they really want to put a kibosh on healthy debate and healthy discussion. That is why whenever you have an opinion that goes against their narrative, you are immediately labeled a racist or a hater because you really don't have an opportunity in very many forums to respond to those accusations. So I just want to put that out there as one of the reasons why I feel this is so important. And with that being said, let's roll on into news for the week of September 4th. Today we start our journey through the news of the day in Florida with DeSantis's response to Hurricane Idella. Joining us now with the very latest from his home state, actually the free state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, wow, 100-year-old oak tree. I'm sure uh, a little scary for you and your family, Governor. Uh, but the devastation that, that I saw this morning on TV, what's your assessment at this hour? Well, Sean, we were ready for this. So we had a search and rescue team staged National Guard. We had 5,500 National Guard. We had 1.2 million gallons of gasoline in the event of fuel shortages. We had over 30,000 uh, linemen to restore power. And so as soon as the storm passed, uh, our first responders were on the scene checking on people. The good news is, is that we have not seen the type of loss of life like we did at Hurricane Ian in the coastal areas. They did experience significant storm surge. Most of the people did evacuate. And so uh, we're cautiously optimistic that, that we're going to end up OK on that. And the storm hit uh, landfall probably about 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, we've since restored 370,000 power uh, to customers, and there's about 175,000 uh, outstanding. So all those linemen have been working uh, to get people back connected. Uh, we know that there's going to be a lot of things we need to do, but we want to get everybody back on their feet as quickly as possible. My understanding is that the storm surge was great, but it receded quicker than, than most people were predicting. True? Yeah, look, I think that, I mean, this was a Category 4 storm all the way up until maybe about 15 miles on the coast, and then it went to a high Cat 3. So it did uh, drive up a lot of storm surge in some of the areas, uh, some of it over 7, 8 feet, uh, so I think maybe even 10 feet. Uh, but 
I think that people protected themselves. When Hurricane Ian hit, you remember that down in southwest Florida, and I know you know that area well. You know, there were frantic calls to 911 because the water was rising in people's homes so quickly. We did not see those types of phone calls uh, like we did in Hurricane Ian. And so I think it's a combination of the surge was a little bit more manageable, uh, and I think it was a combination of people did heed the evacuation warnings. They got off the barrier islands, and they got to places that were on higher ground and not susceptible to the surge. First of all, my prayers are with the people of Florida. I can't imagine living in Florida and facing these hurricanes Even though I complain about Michigan winters, for the most part, I feel really blessed to live here in Michigan where the most catastrophic of our catastrophes pales in comparison to the things that I see from Tornado Alley or from Florida with the hurricanes or from California with the earthquakes, although there doesn't seem to have been one in California very recently. But I'm just very thankful that the weather in Michigan is fairly even-keeled, even though I may complain in the winter. But I will say that one of the things that really impresses me about DeSantis and his response to these hurricanes is that he's prepared. I think especially when I consider what he was talking about with the surplus of gasoline that they had ready to go in the event that there would be shortages, because there always are shortages of gas in times of natural disaster. And he just seems to be someone who has his head on straight, and he really seems to be ready to go out there and fight for the people of Florida whenever there is a disaster. So if you have to have a disaster uh, like the one in Florida, then having leadership like DeSantis exhibits is something to be very thankful for. It's really hard for me to understand, not being from Florida, what it would be like to be asked to leave your home. When I look at disasters like this, I always tell people I would be on the first bus or car or whatever transportation conveyance was leaving the area when I knew that hurricane conditions might come up. But then again, I didn't grow up in Florida. I don't know what it's like to have to leave behind your home and your livelihood. And it also seems like hurricanes are something that are repetitive in Florida, which is another thing that is difficult, which is another reason why you have to constantly be prepared and say, okay, what can we learn from the last time uh, that will be a benefit to us the next time. I also think about what Ron DeSantis said here about people heeding the warnings better this time. They didn't have to call and say, please rescue me from my flooding home because they left. And I think that's a very smart thing. So all this to say, I think leadership matters. In our culture today, we often say that everybody owes me a living. But the reality is that if you want to make a difference in the world, you often have to be the one to make a difference. If you look around and say there needs to be a difference made in the world, then you need to be the one to be a part of that difference. And it's very possible that God 
is actually alerting you to the issues at hand so that you can take an active role in solving these problems. And I also think when these disasters happen, I'm reminded about how much it is important for us to serve others and not to think of ourselves. These linemen that go out and try to restore power whenever there's a power outage, they do an amazing job and a dangerous job. I, I've known of someone personally that got seriously injured being a lineman. It's not an easy job, but they do it to keep life rolling in these areas where we have storms. I know we are most frequently losing power after winter storms. And for me, I often am concerned, despite the fact that we have a wood burner, that I will get too cold after a power outage. So I'm the guy that's on consumersenergy.com, constantly refreshing, hoping that their estimate of when the power will come back on is accurate. And I commend every single person who does the job of linemen. We appreciate you, and we hope that you stay safe. So anyway, prayers for the people of Florida. I know um, with what's going on in Maui, too, that's still a big concern. Uh, last week when we talked about that, they ta- they said that even though it might take only six months to clean up the areas affected, that was what was necessary before they could even start building. So we need to continue to pray for Maui as well. But I I think that good leadership is so important, and I think it's to be commended. As the Republican presidential race continues, and I can't believe I'm actually talking about that in, in September of 2023. We've already had one presidential debate. We're not even starting the presidential primaries until January, and we're not probably going to finish them until May or June, but the political campaign season is in full swing anyway, and so we are hearing a lot of statements from these political candidates about what they believe. And I heard some really good sound bites from Nikki Haley this week, And I wanted to share them with you because they're unrelevant topics that we are facing as a country and as a culture. And Nikki's first statement is in regards to biological men in women's sports. Let's go ahead and bring in Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor and ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, Madam Ambassador, thanks for joining us. You said during the debate last week, I want to quote you, the idea that we have biological boys playing in girls' sports, it is the women's issue of our time. Can you unpack that for us? Absolutely. You know, first of all, we should all rally around Coach Russell. I mean, God bless her for standing up and speaking truth. 
And it says, you know, just because Oberlin College officials were pushing down on her, they are in the minority because we know and I will always fight for the fact that strong girls become strong women, strong women become strong leaders. That does not happen when you put biological boys in women's locker rooms. That does not happen when you take a biological boy and have him compete against women in sports. It's an unfair situation and our women deserve better than that. And so I will continue to say that you can have the loud minority all you want, but at the end of the day, this is about our girls and we have to fight for them. If we don't fight for them, no one else will. And I'm right with Coach Russell and saying, you keep saying what you're saying, shame on Oberlin College, and the rest of America needs to rally with her. Because it's not just her. It's so many people around this country that they're trying to cancel over this. And at the end of the day, you cancel people like Coach Russell, you're canceling our girls. And we can never let that happen. I thought that was an extremely bold statement. Apparently a coach was tarred and feathered in the court of public opinion for expressing her desire to not have her girls compete against biological men. And Nikki Haley is saying, yes, we need to continue to have these discussions. We need to continue to be realistic about this. And we need to continue to fight for our women. As I've said before on this podcast, about a decade before this whole gender dysphoria discussion, the whole feminist movement was about women exerting their rights and getting the same opportunities as men because they were just as good at, at as men at what they do. That was their big push. And I remember even back then feeling a little bad about that because I do believe as a believer that God made men and women specifically for a purpose and each gender has its own purpose to fulfill and it does not make them lesser than the other. God made men for a purpose and women for a purpose, and they're both expressions of his divine creativity. But now we've come to a place in our culture where men can ostensibly do a better job being a woman than an actual woman can. We celebrate the femininity of a transgender woman who is actually a man, but we decry the woman who wants to be a stay-at-home mother with her children. We need a cultural revolution, and it's based on the Word of God, which is a very strict blueprint for the way that we should behave in society. And I understand people who say politics isn't the answer, the Bible is the answer, and if you truly believe that, then you need to be honest with yourself, get back to the blueprint of the Bible, and say, am I living out the blueprint of the Bible? We take marriage, for instance, so lightly in our culture, even in the Christian church. Do we really realize that when we get married, or when we witness a marriage, we're witnessing a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church? And when we have this idea in our culture that marriage is just something you can throw away, we are actually being a horrible example of the relationship between Christ and the church because Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And yet we spend a lot of our time looking for exceptions and saying, 
under what circumstances can I leave this marriage? And I just want to encourage you, get back to the basics. Understand that when you make a vow of marriage, you're making that vow primarily to Almighty God. I want to play you uh, one other uh, Nikki Haley clip very quickly uh, before I move on. And this is Nikki Haley talking about Vivek Ramaswamy and his comments on foreign policy. Quick question before I let you go. You've been feuding with Vivek Ramaswamy about his uh, military position when it comes to the United States versus Iran and a sort of future potential military conflict. Can you distill for us the heart of, of the difference between you and Ramaswamy? I mean, look, he has shown that he's naive. The idea that he doesn't think we need to continue to partner with Israel, the idea that now he's saying that we shouldn't worry about Iran getting a nuclear bomb and we shouldn't defend ourselves against Iran, no one understands that. And it's naive to say, oh, we're going to go to Russia and tell them you quit playing with China. Um, it's just not accurate. And I'm always going to take the side of Israel. I'm always going to take the side of us being strong when it comes against, you know, a terrorist group that says death to America. He's completely wrong on this, and the American people see that. I'm probably not going to tell you on this podcast who I am endorsing for president. If you are my Facebook friend, you will see indications of that, but I probably will steer away from making a specific endorsement on this podcast. But I can tell you unequivocally that I will not support anyone who does not support Israel. The Apostle Paul tells us in one of his epistles to pray for the peace of Israel. I believe that the people of Israel are still God's chosen people, and he is still going to do a work in them as time ends. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I believe that he still has a plan for them. Am I grateful to be a Gentile grafted into the promises of God? Absolutely. But I am not a Jew, and I am not one of God's chosen people in the same way that the Jews are. And I think that history has taught us that if you go against Israel, you are asking for a lot of trouble. So I am never going to support someone who says that we need to go against Israel. Now, after he made those comments. Then he's tried to walk back what he said and make it seem less harsh. And he has actually said, I'm not walking it back. I'm just clarifying. But here's what I see in Vivek Ramaswamy. First of all, it concerns me that he is Hindu because our culture is one that is based on the God of the Bible. And Vivek does not worship or acknowledge the God of the Bible. He's trying to make it sound like he does in interviews because he wants to appeal to the conservative evangelical base, but he does not. Now, I don't need to be assured of someone being a born-again Christian in order to vote for them for president. But Hindus do not have the same beliefs as Judeo-Christians do. That's the bottom line. 
But the other thing that this brings out is I believe that Vivek, well, he may be well-meaning, he is very ignorant on issues particularly related to foreign policy. It seems to me like his modus operandi is to tell people what they want to hear so that they will be excited about him. But he is showing his youth and inexperience. It's kind of ironic because we're going to talk in a bit about the aging Congress and the problems associated with that. But I think in this case, we may have the opposite problem. At 38 years old, I don't think that Vivek has the broad base of knowledge to run the entire country as a 38-year-old man. I just do not. And he is trying to be all things to all people instead of standing firmly on principles. And that scares me. I'm just issuing this warning to those who look at Vivek and, and may say that he seems youthful and has a lot of good things to say that I don't think he is equipped for the highest office in our land. The next story that I want to share with you is a follow-up to an amazing story that came to light when Joe Kennedy, a high school football coach, took a court battle all the way to the Supreme Court for the right to pray on the 50-yard line as a coach of a public high school team. A victory for faith. Joe Kennedy lost his job as a high school football coach in 2015 after praying with his team, and he took that fight all the way to the Supreme Court and won. Kennedy just made his return under the Friday Night Lights for the first time at Bremerton Memorial Stadium in a win for both his team and the power of prayer. Coach Kennedy joins us now. Coach, great to have you on the program. Hey, welcome back to football. Welcome back to the field. Um, Tell me how it felt to be back on the field. And we should say to the audience, after the game, I guess you did what should be expected. You knelt in prayer. Well, of course I took my my, uh, time to thank God at at the end of the game like it was my original commitment. And let me tell you what an awesome experience. After eight years of sitting in the sidelines and not being able to be on the field with my team, to be here with them, to, to... feel the the crack of the pads to look into their eyes and just pumping them up what an incredible experience and it's like i never even left before coach i wanted that's wonderful to hear by the way i'm glad that felt that way i did want to i was curious about something you said i was reading an article you said um knowing what everybody's expecting me to do this kind of gave me a lot of angst in my stomach people are going to freak out that i'm bringing god back into public schools so you're pretty nervous ahead of the game Yes, I was. I, I didn't know what to expect. I thought I heard rumors that there could be up to 10,000 people. So I definitely said my prayers and said, you know, hey, let's keep this mellow. Don't overdo it there, uh, God. And and he answered the prayers. It was a perfect size crowd. They, they loved the game. They cheered. Our nights did awesome. And yeah, it was the perfect night for, for, for football. 
And coach, um, what I know everybody's asking you this. What's next for you? Um, and I know this has been a long fight. This has been years, seven, eight years in the making. Um, how, how do you feel about, how do you feel at the tail end of this fight now that, that you won? It should, we should emphasize that you won. But how do you feel and what's next? I definitely feel so thankful. Uh, that was the only thing I said when I took my knee after the football game last night. I walked to midfield and I took my knee and I was just so thankful. The only words I could get out was thank you, God, because I had no other words. I was so thankful for everybody. The millions of Americans that have supported me, uh, the millions of news outlets like yourselves that have been reporting on this and sharing the story. I, I was just, just, I had no other words except for being so grateful and being able to be in America and exercising my First Amendment rights. I know there are some people who have more of a libertarian leaning who may say that Joe Kennedy should just go coach at a Christian school and then he can pray all he wants. Instead, Joe took this to the Supreme Court because what he really wanted to do was to go back to his former high school and coach those boys and be able to express his faith in the public school setting. And I think this is so important for him to do because what we saw here is we saw that a public school's effort to shame him into thinking that this was an illegal activity or into believing that this activity of peaceful personal prayer, which other people sometimes joined him in, was harmful to the students and, in fact, totally illegal and against the law, was actually not accurate. The Supreme Court upheld his right to do this based on the First Amendment, of not promoting a religion, but also not pro prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so many people have this idea that the First Amendment means free speech, but also it doesn't mean that you can have the religion that you want to express because if you are in a place of authority, in a public place, which is basically government run, then there's no place for God in government. And the purpose of the First Amendment was never about the freedom from religion and was instead about the freedom of religion. You know, back in the early days of our country, they regularly organized Bible studies on the Capitol grounds, and I think there was even a church that met in the Capitol. It was never the Founding Fathers' vision to remove religion from the public square. What the Founding Fathers were protecting against was they did not want a church that was sanctioned by the nation like the Church of England was. They had already experienced that, and they wanted religious freedom to reign in this new constitutional republic. And I think we all need a better primer on what the First Amendment means for Americans. And I'm so grateful 
that Joe Kennedy stuck out the fight. And I'm excited that he got his old job back and that he's able to show his kids that when you really believe in something and you stand up for it, God will reward you. And I think it really behooves us to know the actual laws and rules of our country. Because, you know, we often talk about how bad things are getting in our culture and our country, and they are. But there's a lot of things that we are still allowed to do that culture would tell us we are not. And so we need to be willing to stand up for what we believe and to embrace the rights that we've actually been given through our Constitution and through the actual laws of our land. And so that is why I think that this Joe Kennedy story is so important because hopefully it encourages others to stand up for their rights and their beliefs and to not be bullied into believing that something that school officials don't like is automatically illegal because that's just not the case and the reality in which we live. So props to you, Joe Kennedy. I'm praying for your continued devotion to the Lord Jesus and for your continued success. We need to make sure that we are putting God first in everything we do, even if it costs us something like our job. The last story that I want to talk to you about deals with the aging Congress that we have and the possible need for both term limits and age limits based on cognitive ability. And I have two clips on this topic. The first one actually comes from a discussion about statements made by a Democratic rep about the need for term limits. Meanwhile, an alarming moment for one of Washington's most prominent lawmakers, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, appearing to freeze for a second time in recent months. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. That's a... Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? Yes. All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. Senator. Benny. Hmm. That incident sparking concerns about politicians' abilities to do their job, and neither party is immune to that. Let's bring in our panel. David Carlucci, a former New York State uh, Democratic senator, and Elizabeth McDonald is host of the evening edit on Fox Business. There's no doubt as many times as we have all seen that um, since it has happened, you feel for the senator, um, and we wish him well. Um, but you see that happening, and, you know, it's no surprise that it, it sparks, re-sparks this debate over term limits in Washington. Where do you fall on all of this, Elizabeth? You know, it's interesting because it's the one area where both sides of the aisle agree that they don't want to see, 
feel the pain and have their politicians put through pain who represent them. You know, it was hard to see that he was even going to try to take more questions. You feel for him, right? So it's interesting. This is the same story that came up in 94 with the contract with America. There was a big push for term limits. Mm-hmm. I think term limits is different from age limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, age limits, it's more about if they, are they compass meant to be able to do the job? Right. Because if you have term limits, then you lose a lot of expertise. That's the argument. And we know that 16 states now have term limits. It would be a tough thing to do because you need two thirds of the states, two thirds of both houses to do it. It would be asking politicians to vote themselves out of office. So, you know, it's a tough story. But now you could see more and more people are saying, wait a second. Should there be age limits on the job? David, uh, she mentioned that you're hearing this from both sides of the aisle. This is a Dem rep, uh, Dean Phillips, on term limits. For goodness sake, the family, friends and staff of Senators Feinstein and McConnell are doing them and our country a tremendous disservice. It's time for term limits for Congress and the Supreme Court and some basic human decency. Where are you on this? Well, I think it's it's a big, uh, it's a blanket issue, right, where you just say term limits, it's a good idea, but it would take, throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? The Constitution is clear on this. There is no term limits. There's no age limits. In order to do that, we would need a constitutional amendment. And the question is, if we even agree that there should be age limits, what's the age? And we know that Congress is getting older, the Senate, now the oldest Senate we've had. But the president. The president, <laughs> the oldest president we've had. But our, our population is aging as well. So I think that if we just did this blanket, you know, uh, throw everyone out at a certain age. Or well, even nobody's limits. trying to throw anybody out. Uh, but there is a, a serious discussion being had right now. And, and, and I mentioned the president because this is a, a question that is being asked, obviously, of voters heading into possible re-election for President Biden as he is running again at 80 years old right now. And when questioned about voters, uh, voters are questioned about his age, 77 percent say that he is too old for another turn. Uh, this is an AP NORC center poll list. Yeah. Okay, the first thing I'm going to say about this is that I really don't believe that the Founding Fathers intended for anyone to have a 50-year career in the House and the Senate or even a 30-plus-year career in the House and the Senate. And that is what we are seeing in our legislative body. Um and it causes problems. We have Mitch McConnell having two times where he literally froze and looked like a deer in the headlights for like 15 seconds while he was doing a press conference twice in the past week. We have a situation where Diane Feinstein can barely get herself to Capitol Hill to vote on legislation because she's frail and old and in a wheelchair. Now, there aren't too many jobs where you would want to be working that old. As a matter of fact, it's kind of fun to hear these stories about people that make enough money that they can retire at 40 or 45 and enjoy the rest of their life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to retire that young or even that you should, but there's a big difference between that and 80 or 90. I think the only other industry where we see this regularly is sports, where either athletes or coaches have a real hard time hanging it up and riding into the sunset. So the first thing is, I think that the Founding Fathers had this idea of public service that did not extend for a lifetime. And so I really do believe that term limits uh, in Congress would be a good thing for that reason. The second reason why this is so important is because 
when you have term limits, it forces the American voter to make a decision about who to vote for instead of just assuming that they should continue to vote for the same person that they've always voted for. I feel like in a lot of these races, if you get in, you can situate it so that no one can ever really challenge you. Senator Carl Levin was the Democratic senator for my home state of Michigan from before I was born until like just 6 or 12 years ago. It was a very long reign that he had in that Senate seat. And he didn't yield it until he was reasonably confident that it would be taken over by another Democrat. We've actually only had one uh, solid Republican senator in the time that I can remember on the federal level in Michigan, and that was Spence Abraham, who was only able to serve one six-year term because he was soundly defeated the next time he ran. And so I think that term limits and having to actually choose between two new candidates in a general election is something that is very important. Now, I know opponents of term limits will say, well, you can still vote people out even if they're not term limited. But I think so many people, if their own personal lives aren't changed by something that someone in our legislative body does, they will continue to just pull the lever for the one that has always been there. And I think it's far better for us to have to make new decisions every time. I also think it's important for the people in the legislative bodies to go back to being citizens so that they can then understand what it's like to be a citizen. And when they are a citizen again, they can see how some of their decisions actually affect the citizens because they are again that. And they will begin to vote and speak out based on being a citizen and not simply based on being a lifelong politician. Well, here's a clip from Nikki Haley. I know I've played a lot of her today, but I feel like she had a good week of being able to express her views on some very important things. Uh, And here's what she had to say about term limits, uh, age limits, and the importance of cognitive testing. I want to ask you about this. Um, politicians' age, generally speaking, and their fitness for office has been an issue in the spotlight recently. You yourself have called for a competency test for candidates for office in D.C. who are older than 75. I want to get your reaction to what we saw happen yesterday. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell froze up for nearly 30 seconds uh, while addressing a group there in Covington, Kentucky. What are your thoughts? It's sad. No one should feel good about seeing that. You know, with any more than we should feel good about seeing Diane Feinstein, any more than we should feel good about a lot of what's happening or seeing Joe Biden's decline. What I will say is right now the Senate is the most privileged nursing home in the country. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell has done some great things and he deserves credit, but you have to know when to leave. That is why I'm strongly in support of term limits in this country. I think that we do need mental competency tests for anyone over the age of 75. I, don't, I wouldn't care if they did them over the age of 50, but 
these are people making decisions on our national security. They're making decisions on our economy, on the border. We need to know they're at the top of their game. You, you can't say that right now looking at Congress. You can't say that when you have people who stay forever and refuse to leave. It's not healthy for us, and it's showing. It's showing on our country. It's showing in the lack of border control. It's showing in the inflation rise with the spending that's happening. It's showing in the fact that you know, people feel less safe. That's a big issue. We need to start getting new faces, new voices, younger generations involved in our government. And we need to have everybody else understand when it's time to go. I guess my question, Madam Ambassador, my follow-up to that is who, in your estimation, would be the sort of neutral arbiter who would gauge in the event of a fitness test whether somebody passed? I ask because uh, Senator McConnell's physician put out a memo a short while ago saying he is perfectly fit to carry on uh, unimpeded, you know, fulfilling his duties. So if, a, you know, one professional's opinion there, I mean, who, you know, who's going to override that? The way you would do it is just when anyone files for office to run, they would get a, a notice from their doctor of a mental competency test. That's different than a health test. A mental competency test is, you know, a, is a series of questions like name what town you were born in or, you know, say four words that start with the same letter or how many grandchildren do you have? Like there's multiple questions and they would submit that mental competency test at the same time that they would file to run for office. It's not disqualifying, but what it is is it's transparency for the voters so that when they make their decision, they have it and they know it. Just like we have to give financial disclosures when we run for office, just like we have to show, you know, any sort of issues that need to be there, we should have to have a mental competency test so that people know whether this person is fit. And I think it should be done for incumbents. I think it should be done for any newly people that are running for office. But we've got to do this. This is concerning. And I don't like seeing this happen to Mitch McConnell. You know, I don't like seeing it happen to Dianne Feinstein. But the ones that are being hurt are the taxpayers. The ones that are being hurt are American people. And we need to make sure that these people know when to move on. So for the most part, I agree completely with Nikki Haley in her assessment of this situation that there are people in Congress that are staying way too long, that it is a high priced nursing home and that people that can barely communicate are being tasked with plotting the future of our country. The one issue that I would have is I'm not quite sure how to go about having fair competency exams because I can definitely see how different groups of people view competency different. Like for instance, the liberal left thinks that anyone who wears a mega hat has a mental disorder. Republicans often joke about Democrats having a mental disorder. So depending on who uh, makes up this mental competency exam, someone who is very mentally acute could be determined to be mentally deficient. That being said, if it is based on basic questions, like the ones Nikki mentioned, it could be a very good thing. The bottom line here is that we need to care about the leadership of our country. And we need to make our decisions based on who is best for the country, not just who will get us the result that we want, or who we can force out of office so we don't get the result that we want. 
That's why I believe that the primaries are always so important in the presidential election process because it's the primaries that determine the general election candidate. And if you don't make your voice known in the primary, then you don't have much to complain about if you don't like the person that's representing you in the general election. So I hope that these stories have given you a lot to think about, and I hope that you will share this content with your family and friends if you feel so led. Um, I definitely want to get feedback, so please let me know if there's anything that you have an opinion on that I talked about today, or if there are any stories that I should talk about in a future episode. Until next time, for Culture Watch, this is Andrew Gomison saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.